A few weeks ago in Boston, I had the pleasure of participating in an event with Mike Riley and Hunter Allen, where I got to interview them for a live podcast at the Norma Tech headquarters. This was a fundraiser called The Spirit of Endurance, benefiting the Iron Man Foundation. I went on to speak the next day at Race Mania, did a couple workshops, and uh, Mike and Hunter also had book signings and, and their workshops as well. So Race Mania in Boston is the second year I attended. It's sometime in March usually, and just a fantastic gathering of people in the endurance community and swim, bike, and run, and we just had a great time. So of course, this was recorded live, so the quality of the audio is not as super as it would be in studio. But it was still a really great time and definitely wanted you guys to all hear this. So I hope you enjoyed this live recorded podcast with Mike Riley and Hunter Allen. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day. And it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. and you guys all know Mike. I'm going to introduce Hunter Allen right to my right to my left. <laughs> he is a legendary cycling coach and author and founder of Peak Cycling Group and he is the co-founder of Training Peak Software, you guys. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, see everyone's like, "Oh." Yeah. He is a former professional cyclist and co-author of the new edition of Training and Racing with a Power Meter. His goal has always been to educate athletes on how to maximize their training and racing potential. What I like best about Hunter is his coaching philosophy, and that is to take and coach an athlete as a whole person. And that is also one of my philosophies. He's coached over 700 athletes and still learns something new from each one. Isn't that the truth? Yes, no doubt. (laughs) And and I love this too, a certified yoga and Tai Chi instructor. So, welcome, Hunter. Well, thank you. Thank and you. welcome, Thanks, Mike. Thank you for Thank you. So, we are doing a podcast, and I want to start out this podcast by asking, what does a day in the life of Mike Riley look like? At an event or at home? No, at home. We all know what you do at an event. At home? Yeah. What do I'll you do? go ride my bike. <laughs> I've got a great number of succulents in my yard. I'm, I, l- I love the garden. It's like my therapy. Yeah. And uh, I just hang, and then... The, the grandchildren, the grandbabies, the two boys live about 30 minutes away, so I go over there as much yeah. as I can. My wife and I go out with friends. We just live a normal, you know, just a normal life. I'm told to take out the trash every night. You know, <laughs> just, just like anybody. So, Does your wife, th- do you make any, you're an Iron Man jokes to your wife? Does she think it's no, funny No, those anymore? don't go over. They used to go over well in the first five years. They don't go over well anymore. <laughs> I think she's heard enough of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what about you, Hunter? What's a day in the life of Hunter Allen like? Oh, uh, it's a busy day. Yeah. Uh, taking kids to school in the morning. How and, old are your kids? Uh, I've got uh, one in college, 20, uh, 17-year-old, and then a 14-year-old. Mm. Uh, so getting getting some kids to school. And then uh, from there, it's uh, nonstop, all day long, uh, talking to my clients, um, Talking to our coaches, we've got 50 coaches that uh, that I mentor and coach as well, and then uh, working through all kinds of exciting things. I mean, uh, it's uh, it, it is kind of a nonstop day from, yeah. uh, and you know the the 
the internet is just an amazing tool and certainly one of these things that has been so incredible in the past four or five years has been you know all these video conferences I do. <laughs> it's like and I do a video conference with a guy in Costa Rica, somebody in South Africa, somebody in Germany, somebody in China, mm-hmm. Japan. You know, it's like all over the world. Yeah. You have all these conferences, which is just incredible. It's so neat to be able to do that. So um, yeah, How do you manage the time zones because I just moved to Kansas yeah. and I can't seem to get Eastern and Central straight. So how do you handle <laughs> China? Well, China is easy because it's twelve hours oh. exactly. Oh. So. Oh. Okay. Uh, so I usually talk to people in China in the morning or in the evening. Wow. Um, so uh, yeah, I had a call this morning actually. But uh, you know that's but that, that that's yeah it is sometimes a challenge with the time. It's zones. a blessing and yeah, a curse, yeah, like but, to have technology. Exactly. So how long you've been coaching for? How many years? Uh, I started coaching in 1996. So whatever that is, 23 years. So how has it changed in the last? Uh, what, I can't do math. Is that yeah? Well, a, long, it's yeah. A, lot, a, a lot. I mean, it's changed incredibly. I mean, we've gone from basically having uh, just very simple heart rate monitors to being able to just first first download that data, yeah. and then all of a sudden, you know, the power meter was really uh, invented, and then uh, that came about in the United States in, in 99, 2000 for PowerTap did that actually in Boston. There's some guys from MIT invented the PowerTap. Oh, wow. uh, and then, uh, you know, that, that really was a big revolution. And, and we were able to, I was very fortunate to build a piece of software with an incredibly genius programmer. And we launched that in 2003. Uh, we called that Cycling Peak Software. And that was just like kind of to analyze power meter data. And then in 2005, we merged that company with the company that Joe Friel and his son had created called Training Bible. So Cycling Peaks and Training Bible became Training Peaks. Okay. Uh, and that's how that was started. So whose idea was it to put the colors in? Because that's my favorite part. Because when, I mean, it's, it's really easy to right? tell your athletes, like, right. I see too They're much They're green, red. right? They're or you're red. red. Right. So here, was that uh, your idea? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, well, get off the stage. <laughs> Not all of them are my ideas for it, oh, unfortunately. That's, awesome. that's, that's fine. We have lots of incredible people there. Uh, so, but that's, that was, uh, that's been a huge revolution in the fact that, one, we've been able to take uh, and really make our time highly efficient. And, you know, we all have limited time, right? I mean, it's like, I only got 10 hours a week to train or or eight hours a week to train. What do I do and how do I optimize that? And then being able to take um, our training from a place of guessing, like, well, maybe I should do hills today or maybe I should do a long ride today to being able to really quantify and understand, well, should I do hills or should I do a long ride? And then, uh, and then predict a peak uh, performance. Yeah. Because like any coach can just give you a training plan. Like, oh, here's the training plan. Go do it. You're going to get better. But like the holy grail of coaching is when you come to me and you say, okay, on June 15th, I want to have the best performance of my life. Right? That's the holy grail. And to be able to give an athlete that is just uh, is so exciting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm getting chills just talking about it. <laughs> but um, because, because now we can do that, right? We can yeah. predict performance and plan training loads so that, that that actually happens. We give them that ability. Now, you have a flat tire, not my fault. But that's that I think is has been a big change. You know, it really yeah. has been exciting. So what doesn't the data provide? What doesn't it provide? Yeah, because I mean obviously it provides so much. So what sure. you said, you know, you're you're concentrated on the whole athlete. So what right. are right. what are the 
two like sweet spots that the data doesn't show that right. people have to have straight. Well, I mean, certainly the rest of life stress, right? So life stress is a, is a huge issue. And I think that for athletes uh, who are, you know, generally in, in kind of 35 plus, uh, you know, have jobs and family and all the things that we do, uh, it's very difficult to train hard enough to actually get into this place, what we call non-functional overreaching, where you're now not actually, you're training, but you're not getting any better. You're kind of getting worse. And eventually, if you keep doing non-functional overreaching too much, then you get into overtraining syndrome. I feel like I'm a non-functional overreacher. Yeah. Just well, in general, in yeah. that condition. <laughs> well, it probably is the rest of An life. NFO. <laughs> Not to be confused with the UFO. You, you, yeah. <laughs> You're just going your own. <laughs> I'm stealing it. Trademark. There Done. you go. Done. Um, I think that's the hardest part is, is like capturing all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, you know, my God, I've got this project to do or, you know, wow, we were up till, you know, all night because I've got a kid sick or whatever. And that life stress is not in there. Um, it's coming. Like, so there's a, uh, there's a great, um, I'm not, you know, sponsored by them at all, but there's a great company here in Boston called Whoop. Yeah, have you heard, heard about Whoop? Yeah, they're doing a great job. They do a little, just like little wrist thing, and they capture. Um, Looks like four dollars cost two hundred. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But they're doing some pretty cool stuff. I mean, it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't look like it costs two hundred dollars. <laughs> right, definitely not. But uh, then, and it captures your your heart rate variability, yeah. and it captures your sleep, and then that data now is coming into Training Peaks. And so we can start to capture some of this life stress data. You know, I was looking at that because I thought that would be really handy to import into training because I didn't know it worked in. Yeah, it just happened. Oh, that's awesome. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that looks like an exciting thing. Okay, so in that vein, this event is called the Spirit of Endurance. So what does the Spirit of Endurance mean to you, Mike Riley? If you are a part of the endurance world, you better have some spirit to be in it. Yeah. You've got to have that foundation and that drive. Sure, there's people that come from, you know, sitting on the couch their entire lives to all of a sudden wanting to walk around the block or do a 5K and then all of a sudden do an Ironman. And Hunter's seen that progression with athletes year after year. Uh, what I think it is, I think it's just a, it, it's broken down very simply. They just want to become better humans. Yeah. They want to be better for their children, better for their partners, better for their workmates. And most importantly, better for themselves. And when they, when they get that, when they, when they figure it out, they go down this path that they never thought was possible. Uh, and others that are in their lives see it, and they're inspired by it, or some are put off by it. Like, what are you, yeah. what are you doing? How come you don't? How come you go to bed at ten? We don't go out anymore. You know that that type of stuff. But if, if they're committed to it, they end up so much better on the other side. That you know what they do? They discover their spirit. Yeah. When maybe they never even knew it was there. So you, your new book, Finding My Voice, yeah. covers a lot of really amazing stories. And I don't want to ask you what your favorite is, and because that's just not fair. But what is a story in there that really embodies the spirit of Ironman and the spirit of, of triathlon and endurance sports that you can share? I've got two stories in there about uh, my two Kristens. First names are Kristen. My first Kristen... She she was training, and her mother was going through some bile duct cancer and was having a tough time. So Kristen would stay at home, and then the week her mom would have chemo, she'd go go stay with her mom, was three hours away. 
and uh, go back and forth. Well, finally, the burden of that was getting so tough. She told her mom, she says, you know, I'm just, and she was training for an Ironman. I, I can't, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to train. I just want to take, she goes, mom said, no way. You're my motivation after chemo to go walk around the block and get on my recumbent bike and, and work out and stay in the game. You can't get out of the game. Yeah. You got to keep that goal of doing an Ironman. So she did. Uh, before that Ironman, mom passed away. Uh, and, and Kristen was going to, and then her husband said, no, we're committed to it. Your mother is watching, you know, that whole story. And so Kristen did it. But she got in the water and she was having trouble because her uh, oxygen levels were way too high. So they pulled her out, took her to the emergency room, and she didn't finish the race. Her husband was doing the race and didn't, didn't know that was happening. He had a great race, and afterwards he found out. So they're driving home, and she goes, you know, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I tried it for my mom, and we want to have a baby, and my job is just, you know, it's, it's difficult and everything. So I, I think I'm done. You can continue to do Ironman. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you have to finish an Ironman. We're going to do it. We're going to go home, and we're going to do it. He set up a swim at the lake near Dallas, near their house, measured it out, stood on the shoreline and watched her go back and forth, got her out of the water, she came out, her bike was in the parking lot, transition all set up, the whole deal, peeled off the wetsuit, got on the bike, he rode with her, he knew that where there was a construction spot on the bike course, that was their porta potty and, and he would feed her uh, her liquids as if she was going through aid stations. Yeah. Then he set up a run course around the house of about five or six loops. And every time she came back to the house, that was her transition. And he changed his clothes every time she came to him in transition in different sunglasses to elicit <laughs> that she was going through different aid stations throughout the run course. <laughs> and, and had different music playing and the whole deal. And, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about it. So Kristen's finally coming in for the last lap. And she comes, and he says, come through the front door. And the funny part about that is when that, I say to people at finish lines, come on home, come through the front door, you're home. Literally, that's probably the first time that was ever said to anybody. <laughs> and she came through the front door, and she found her dining room chairs lined up, like eight of them, on each side with banners over the chairs, Aww. and that was her finishing shoot <laughs> as she went in. What are you doing with my chairs? And, and went into the house, and he yelled out, and she told me, he did a good job, Mike. <laughs> he made you proud. He, he, he would have really made you proud, and I cried, and he cried. But I did my Iron Man because my husband set it up. For, I mean, I, that, that is what the family, the Ohana, is all about. And, you know... And then she went on to do two or three more afterwards and had the confidence to do them and did them in honor of her mother. Uh, and that, that's pure love. That's, and, and that's born out of endurance. It's born out of knowing that she had this goal and mom wanted her to do it. Who yeah. sets up an Ironman in the local community for, you know, it was just those two. Yeah. On a Saturday, people probably in the neighborhood are thinking, what is this woman doing? <laughs> and, and, but, but it was done. So that's... Those are the types of stories that, that have affected me, and I felt it'd be very selfish on my part not to pass those stories on, yeah. not to tell others how, you know, they say, how do you get to a 19-hour day, Mike? Are you, are you kidding me? I wish it could go another 19 hours. What I'm seeing in their eyes bleeds right into their hearts, and, and it brings energy to me, and I want it to bring energy to everybody. And even the people who don't know 
or even know what endurance is, but they want to become a better human yeah. uh, when they read it. Hopefully, hopefully they will. Well, my favorite Mike Riley story was at Ironman Texas 20, 2015, and it was that torrential downpour year, and it was crazy. <laughs> and there might have been 30 seconds left on the clock, and there was a and Texas finish line weaves. You're like this. So you see the people coming, and the clock had like 30 seconds, and this guy hurdles the gates because there's a guy like that far away. Mike runs, like hurdles these gates, jumps to this guy, and he's like, let's go. And we watch as Mike runs this guy in with one second to spare. He made it with one second. Uh, and I was like, I get chills. See, I got chills, too. Awesome. This is like, but, I, might, I might have to get a new hip because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought in that moment, and, you know, I see a lot of midnight finishes because that's my time frame. I get the most out of my money. But um, seeing those last finishes is always just special. It really is special. So, Hunter, let's talk a little bit about power. Okay. You are in your third edition of the book. Yes. So the last edition came out when? 2009. Okay, so it's wow. 10 years. 10 years, yeah. So what has changed? What What is... <laughs> right. I'd love to answer that question sure. about a book. But <laughs> right, right, right. what is different in power? Why do people need to right. pick up this book? Uh, well, so, uh, you know, in, in the past 10 years, uh, we've learned some more things. Uh, we've gotten... Uh, some some better software. We've we've developed a few different ways. We got colors. We got colors and <laughs> peaks. Um, we've learned uh, how to better individualize training. Okay, so one of the things that that revolutionized training with a power meter is, and is is coming up with these training zones and making sure we understand what's called our functional threshold power and then building on top of that. But we found that there are a lot of people out there that. We have different energy systems and the way that they work and, and the way that they transition between one to the other um, isn't always the same. We always don't fit that same mold. So one of the big things that we've come up with is what we call high levels for individualized training levels. Uh, so we can, we can do that. Uh, left, right power meters have come out. When you out. say I level, like I, the letter I. Like I the letter I, okay. like individualized. So uh, that way, based on just capturing a bunch of data, <laughs> capturing a bunch of your training data and some testing data, we can start to build uh, a, a better picture of where you transition from this energy system to this energy system. And, and what that helps us to do is, is continue to kind of further hone in what specific things you need. And not just like, okay, well, I think you kind of need this. And, well, the power meter definitely says you need this. But, oh, wow, here's where we really need to focus on. So that's that's been a nice thing that, that we've updated. Uh, power meters have gotten better. We've got left-right power now. So we can measure what's happening with your left leg and your right leg. And uh, so you release power on the downstroke. So we call it gross power released on the downstroke. Well, on the upstroke, there's actually negative force. So there's actually resistance on the upstroke. So we're trying to get that leg out of the way on the upstroke. Uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting where, you know, when, when the left leg goes down, this right leg is resisting it. Uh, and we want to minimize that resistance. So sometimes I've seen athletes with 50 watts of resistance on one side. And it's kind of like, are you trying not to pedal? <laughs> you know, oh. what's going on here? Because that's a lot of resistance. Yeah. Uh, I probably have like a hundred watts <laughs> in both sides. <laughs> both sides. We can we can we can work on that. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I think I don't think we should do that. So uh, so that's been a, that's been really fun to to start to make us more economical. 
because that's one of the games that we're, we're we're playing is you know all of endurance sports is really a game of pacing. Yeah. And when you kind of break down everything, right? When you get rid of all of the disc wheels and you get rid of all of the the gadgets and stuff, and you really look at it from just the heart of what the sport is, it's a sport of pacing. You know, some of us just like to do it on bicycles. Some of us like to do it bicycles, swimming, and running. <laughs> some people just like to do running, right? Um, but that's really what it is. And pacing yourself is really a game of economy. How can I go the fastest I can possibly go with the least amount of energy so that I finish on the finish line and I'm completely exhausted and I've used everything that I can possibly use and not an ounce more and not an ounce less. So that's one of the things that that we've been working on. That's awesome. So putting a power meter on your, true or false, putting a power meter on your bike automatically makes you faster. True or false? (laughs) I wish it did. <laughs> I wish you could just buy one. Do you have to ride bicycle. your bike for power to be important? <laughs> you have to pedal. Yes. You have to, you have to do work. the work. You've got to do the work. And so, like, to interpret power data, mm-hmm. you need to have power data to interpret. You do. You absolutely do. You need to capture that data. Uh, you know, these things become, I mean, almost everybody has a really fancy bike computer now on their handlebar, which captures all this data, uh, which is incredible. And that's been a huge revolution as well. Uh, and so it's just a matter of, okay, how do we download it? And now we've got, uh, you know, these things are Bluetooth to your phone. I mean, you don't even have an excuse. It's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this just goes, I push stop, save the ride. It goes to my phone uploads the Garmin, it goes to Strava, it goes to Training Peaks, it goes to wherever, and it's all there. Yeah. So then you, you have easy... You can't hide from it. Right, you can't get... <laughs> you can't have like, oh, I've got, I'm not good at tech. I'm like, come on, all right? It's <laughs> not that bad. You're like, I wrote this software. <laughs> I know this software. So we're going to take some questions from you guys, from Mike and Hunter. If anyone has one right now, go ahead and shoot your hand up and we'll take it. If not, I'll just keep jabbering. And if you think of any, you can write them down on those note cards that Mr. Nixon has in the middle there. But we can keep chatting. So, um, unless anyone has any questions. Anyone? Okay. So, Mike, how did you become the voice of Iron Man? You called over 180 races. It's probably like 195. I don't know how up to date your website is. But yeah, it's 100. I think New Zealand last month was 183. 183. So, how did this happen? I don't know. (laughs) All of a sudden, it, 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 you know, in 1989 is when I was training to do it because all, you know, Mark Allen and and, uh, Scott Tinley and Paul Anubi, they all lived in San Diego and I'd ride with them and run with them and they'd all go to Kona and I was jealous. So I got to do that. But that's all of a sudden a phone call came from Mike Plant who lived in San Diego, but he he announced uh, uh, Hawaii. And uh, he said, Valerie, the owner of the race, said, she, I, we need another voice over here. Would you be interested? <laughs> you kidding me? And then he said, you're going to pay me. I go, oh, and I'm going to Hawaii? <laughs> so I, I ended up there in 89 uh, and 90 with Mike. And then 91, I got to take it over myself. And, I, you know, it, I, I announced a lot of events through the years. And when I wasn't announcing them, I was running them or doing the triathlon. So it was a great world to be in. But then all of a sudden, after about five or six years of doing Ironman, something clicked. It, it, it clicked in 91 when I called the first person in Ironman. 
And you'll have to read that in the book because it's, it's an incredible story. It's not like I sat up at night thinking, what am I going to say to these people? Because at marathons, I can say congratulations or, you know, great job. You look fantastic. And, you know, I wanted to give kudos because they deserved it. But when then you and Iron Man came, when that came out in 91, it was completely kind of off the wall. And, 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 and an I told you so is why I said it to a buddy. But, uh, but after that, it, it became real. It became... It became uh, part of their lives for the rest of their life. And people would come up and tell me what it meant four, five, six years later and what it did for them. And, well, no, I didn't, you know, that, that, no, you don't understand. I know what it did for me, and it's still doing it for me today. And it was hard for me to grasp that for a while. It just was, because you think about it, I mean, I'm at a finish line, I'm announcing events and doing what I do and loving what I do, and all of a sudden, it becomes a life monumental changing moment. You go, wait a minute, that's supposed to be like the birth of a child or, you know, and, and the best part, I'd have, I'd have women come up to me and their husband would be standing over here and she'd go, Mike, Mike, I got to tell you, that was the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> the women whisperer. Yeah, I'm going, whoa. Yeah. But, but it just became this transformation of them becoming somebody else than when they were at the start line. Yeah. When they got to the finish, they became another person that they'd been told they couldn't be throughout their life. They become another person that they never thought they'd be. They became a person that others look at them and go, whoa, Jim is, and, and Sally is, oh my gosh, look at them. They're leaders now. So it took a while for me to <clears throat> grasp it in a way to where I, I, it wasn't daunting to me because but it's not it's not daunting it's it's a it's a pleasure to be able to do that and say that so how i got started is just i was asked and you it started progressing up. from there and i couldn't it's shut spun up out of control. Just, you know i'm irish and i'm full of you know what so it helps <laughs> so hunter um as a professional cyclist and a coach mm -hmm. and an author now mm -hmm. what is it like to be a parent like, because I feel like they all are kind of endurance sports. Yeah, some days. Um, so, Longer. Yeah, and you're a parent, and I'm obviously right, right, a parent. Right. And, and so, yeah, what, what, is, what are the similarities mm. there, and what, have, uh, you, what right. have you learned? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Yeah, we can come back to it if you need to. I'll talk about my children right now, who are 10 or 11, and... Yeah. Anyway, yeah. 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 No. It's. I mean. It's. 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 Uh, being a parent's amazing. It's. It's. Uh, it's incredible to be able to. To. You know. Uh, to, to. To help influence and teach these amazing young people and and uh, kind of guide them on their path a little bit and and uh, let them make their own mistakes and that's and the hard part. That's right? the hard part sometimes. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, it is. It's. It's a lot of fun. I mean. All of my kids have, um, have are I'm very very fortunate, and and they've been great kids, and and you know we do lots of sports together. They're not necessarily. I mean, we, we raced BMX for five years, and, and my boys are amazing mountain bikers, and they'll do uh, some road cycling, go on road bikes together. But I didn't want to be the parent who who like push cycling on them right you know, i wanted them to discover that and if that's something they wanted to go down that path then we'll i'll be glad to do that but um you know my oldest is a big time he wants to be in the snowboard industry he's going to graduate from college be in the snowboard industry 
Awesome. Go for it. Uh, you know, and I've got my other son who's, you know, wrestles and plays football and, and then my daughter does gymnastics and um, volleyball. So yeah. that's been really fun. So sports has definitely woven its way through our lives for sure. And I think that uh, that's, uh, as we all know, we're all uh, sports enthusiast athletes here in the room. And uh, we know how much, again, kind of it comes back to what Mike was talking about, how making you a better person. Yeah. And so that's been always my piece of like, okay, these are principles that that are that are that you're learning in sports that are going to make you a better person down the road. So, yeah. Hopefully. So what keeps you coming back to obviously you're, you make a living with coaching now, mm-hmm. but what? Mm-hmm. You could obviously go do something else because that, that's a really hard job. So, <laughs> what what keeps you coming back to coaching? Um, you know, I still really enjoy um, seeing people improve and su- and succeed because, uh, uh, and again, kind of like back to what you're saying, Mike. I mean, the the you know, I, I you know, somebody comes to me and says, "Oh, I want to win this race," but you know, okay, we're gonna we're gonna achieve that goal, but at the same time, I'm hoping that they're going to also understand all these principles of life that that we're teaching about like how to be successful you know and and uh how to how to 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 make these time management pieces work and how to make hard work be a part of it and hard smart work be a part of it and so that's a big piece of it uh and and i just i love sharing my knowledge you know we i wrote the first book with dr coggin and in 2006 and you know, we just wanted to share the knowledge. You know, we didn't, we weren't like, whatever. We're like, we're just, one, we got tired of answering the same email over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, like, bye, bye, bye. I'm like, okay. Don't, 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 we need to write a book because these emails are getting old. Um, and so we, uh, we wrote that book, but it was really like, let's just give this to the world and share it and it'll make people more successful and have more fun and live life and enjoy. So. Well, it's certainly the Bible. Well, I don't know congratulations. about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So any questions? Did anyone think of anything? Well, so the question is, does Mike speak for other languages and does he announce in other languages in other countries? I, I don't. One of my biggest regrets in life is that I don't speak other languages. I never took it up when I was younger. But what's interesting about those four words, they are universally what they are. And I've uh, done races in Frankfurt. I've done them, you know, all over the world. And I've asked them, do you want me to say it in German? Do you want me to say it in French? No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no, you say what you say in Kona. You say to us, you know. And uh, so, so, yeah. And when I go and announce Montreal, I've got Alan Sear with me. And and I pick stuff up. And it's funny because a Frenchman will be coming in and I'm announcing... Alan, and he'll whisper in my ear the town in France, and I'll spit it out just like I can speak French. It's, I have this knack of, he goes, oh my God, well, don't ask me a minute from now, because I won't be able to say <laughs> so, so, no, I, I don't speak any other languages, and I can hardly speak English, so I'm, I'm just happy <laughs> I, I can get those That's four so words out. True. <laughs> I've, I've been with Mike when someone will come up to him at an expo like the day before a race and they're like, you say my name this way. And Mike's like, yeah. And I'm like, there's no way you're going to remember that. And he's like, yeah, I will. And he does. Like, <laughs> I mean, awesome. I would be like paralyzed. Oh, no. What did she tell me? <laughs> what is it? But yeah. very impressive. The whole name thing is, it's, it's tough. And a lot of people, if I, I go through the bios before the race four or five times and if I say, ah. so I'll email that person, how do you phonetically say your name? 
And thank goodness I did because it was completely opposite. <laughs> I go, what? It? Uh, I had one the other, G-O-E-T-T. G-O-E-T-T, go it. No, it's get. Well, how would I know? You know, so you just ask. And I try to get 97, 8% of them correct. <laughs> but then I always say, did I mispronounce those other four words? Oh, no, no, you said those okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Any other questions? A lot of soreness after a race, uh, an Ironman, we have to recover. I wonder, you shouted out for 19 hours. Mm. How, do you have to recover your voice for a couple of days? Or oh, sure, it's called Irish whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, the next morning, it's tough. Uh, it, it, now that the U.S. races are doing the awards ceremony at 9.30, 10 in the morning, that's a tough come around, uh, get it out. But then after that, it's, it's hurting for like 24 hours, and then, then it's back. My wife sometimes wishes it wouldn't come back, <laughs> but then it's back. So, yeah, it's, you, know, you know what the secret is? The hot, humid weather is the best thing on the boat. Kona, I've been solid all the way through because that humidity. I'm in Arizona where I feel like I'm eating sandpaper and then the <laughs> desert air at night. That's when it's that's when it's tough. Some of the um, like Garmin and some of the other tools that can simulate running power. Mm -hmm. um, what's your opinion on that? Is it, mm -hmm. is it useful at all or is it junk? Or? Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, the question is... Say it's junk. Say it's junk. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you need one. Get one. So what? So, but there are new power meters, and they've been around for a little while now, that do running power. Uh, there, there are a couple of them out there. There's one called Stride. There's another one. There's a brand new one called Run Scribe, which is really interesting, and I like to... To, to uh, play with that one here pretty soon, uh, but and then of course the Garmin uh, one has one with the flip pod and pace and stuff. So power is different running. So in cycling, if you are riding at 250 watts and you ride at 300 watts, that's faster, right? <laughs> You're going faster, right? More watts is faster. In running, uh, you can produce more watts by just landing harder on the ground. And so that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, and uh, it's a good thing if you're a sprinter for 100 meters, but not if you're trying to do a full marathon or anything like that. So in running, we have to balance both what our pace is, how many minutes per mile or kilometers per uh, mile or, or kilometers per hour or whatever we're, we're, we're optimizing, plus that power output. So it may be, okay, gosh, this is, I can run an eight minute mile and I'm going to produce 200 watts while running that. And if I try and run an eight minute and 20 second mile a little slower, then I'm producing 250 watts. I'm actually now being less economical. I'm gonna take more out of my body. Or maybe if I go a little faster, if I run a 740 mile, then my watts go down because now I'm staying on the ground for less time and I have to kind of have more flight time. So those are some of the things that we have to play with with running. So it's a little more complicated in running, but there's definitely value to doing that for sure, for sure. Does Training Peaks have a color for like when I upload my running data for like elephants stomping through peanut butter? Big, big, front, <laughs> big brown. <laughs> Your Training Peaks is brown. What does that mean? Stop stomping. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. So this is directed to Mike. Uh, since 1989, there have been many Ironman races that have been added to the calendar on a regular basis. How do you go through and determine 
the races that you're going to cover versus those that you're not able to attend? It's tough. I, you know, physically, I can usually push out a dozen Ironmans. Uh, last year, uh, I did 12. And it, it, it's, it's a tough year. You know, if I could just be Star Trek down to the site and not have to do the travel and, you know, Hunter knows what I'm talking about. I'm going, uh, it'd be great. But I, I remember last year, I hadn't gone to Australia in 2017. And I'd done it for like 18, 19 years. And they said, yeah, we want you back in 18. I said, great, I'll come back, it'll be great. Well, I had forgot that I committed to, to, to Texas and to Santa Rosa. Well, when I put it on my calendar, there was, there was Texas, next weekend Australia, next weekend Santa Rosa. So then I had to go tell my wife. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so I, what I do is I try to choose where I can be the most effective. I will always go to Lake Placid. It's where, in 1999, I've always been in Lake Placid. No matter what, I will never miss that race. That's because that's where you get kissed. I, I, get, I get kissed a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, I'd never miss Wisconsin. Mont Blonde is on my schedule, obviously Kona. And then mix it around and try to do one European race a year if they want me more. It depends how it works out. And, and uh, I always go to New Zealand. And then Australia has, like, been off and on lately. So I just... I just try to pick it to where I've got a, at least a you know two to three week break in between to recover to go back and do it again because I don't want to be, you know I've never been lazy at a race I just but when I did Santa Rosa last year I was I, I was beat up but you know you keep it going and and it took me about a week I thought I did the race after those three, <laughs> that uh, to recover so that's how I choose just Ironman's very kind they let me go and do the first choice of where I want to go, then they fill in the other announcers accordingly. When you go to bed, do you hear your voice, like, in all these names? I feel like when I, like, played too much Tetris as a kid, I would play Tetris all night. Do you just hear yourself? Nobody knows this except my family and close friends. I have now what they call tinnitus in the ear. My ears are, you know, it's like being Mick Jagger. He's got it. Because I have these speakers next to me for 30-some years, and now I go to bed and I go... What's that ringing? <laughs> oh, it's me. It's you know, with the with the ear thing. Uh, but no, I, I when I go to bed, I'm I'm out. I I, I just <laughs> I go to bed. I'm done. I don't hear myself saying that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I do. <laughs> it's what with all the technology and advancements. What is Mike and Hunter's prediction for the winning time in Kona in ten years? Yeah, I mean, that, that is a tough question. I mean, we're continually getting better and better and better, but there definitely eventually will be, like, a limit uh, that we can get to. Uh, there was a great, uh, there was a great uh, a couple of shows that I saw, um, you know, could a cyclist ever maintain 60 kilometers an hour, uh, and which is like, you know, 40-something miles an hour, right? And, and there's just limitations to... Uh, the way that our physiology is. I mean, there's only so big, you know, the lungs can get. And uh, it's like, okay, wow, if you're going to to do that fast of a speed, we'd have to have kind of double the size of our lungs. So 
um, without anything else changing in our body and big heart to go along with that. So there's going to be some limitations that we're going to, we're reaching. And, and I think that that's, uh, I mean, even like a hundred meter sprint, you know, it's like, is anybody ever going to do nine seconds, a hundred meter sprint? Probably not, you know? And, and so it's going to be kind of one of these incremental, like, okay, a little bit faster, a little bit faster, uh, thing. So, uh, I don't know. We'll just, uh, it'll be really interesting to see. I think we'll see definitely more faster times. Uh, one of the greatest things that I think, uh, that uh, Ironman triathletes and, and triathletes in general, they're very open to training new ways. They're very open to uh, technology, uh, to using uh, more aerodynamic kind of uh, bikes and stuff. So that's going to help us from that perspective. So it should be, it should be interesting to see. Well, if we don't have any more questions, tomorrow's a big day for everyone. Um, I know Hunter's going to have his book. At the expo, check yes. the schedule. The yes. schedule is very busy, and uh, Mike will as well, and I will too. At the Clean Athlete booth at approximately eleven thirty, I think I'll be there. So, um, Mark, do you want to come up and say anything? There's that, and yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone tomorrow at Race Mania at the Youth Prep Center. Awesome, thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs>